0: Or to say you simply flooded the system with money. Yes, we did. That's another way to think about it. We did. Where does it come from? Do you just print it? We print it digitally. So we, you know, we, as a central bank, we have the ability to create money uh, digitally. And we do that by buying treasury bills or, or bonds. Buy no, sell high, that's no. I may just quit my job at the power
1: plant to become a full-time... Guy. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to episode 63 of Pounding the Table. We are finally back in full force. Tony, huge welcome back and a huge thank you to all of you guys who sent us emails. I think we got about 200 or so. Loud and clear, we hear you guys. You want us to get back into the Bible. So starting next week, we are going to dig back into the Bible. But we got Tony back in the booth today with Joey Salicho, a.k.a. The Rocket Man. Before we get started, a huge shout out to our sponsors over at StockTwits. That is our favorite place to go check out what is happening in both the stock and crypto markets. So come join the conversation around your favorite tickers at StockTwits.com. We are going to kick things off, of course, as always, with the trending tickers of the week. Inflation was the biggest thing of the week, as you guys are all aware, 8.6%. The Dow crashed 2.7 or 880 points. NASDAQ down 3.5%, and the S&P 500 fell 2.9% all on Friday. So major news here, Tony. Welcome back, man. Why don't you kick things off with Apple? We got Meta News, Microsoft, DocuSign. Amazon a whole lot more. Yeah, man.
0: Thank you. I would say like I'm back, but uh, it's still going to be a little bit of me being in and out until all things are better. But I really appreciate everyone's well wishes and love and support on Twitter while I I get through this this time with my family. So big thank you to all of you guys. and, And thank you guys for holding it down on the pod while I've been handling that. So yeah, let's just get right into it. So I think the White House came out and they said elevated inflation to be expected on Friday. And that was like on Wednesday. So Interesting. Like they floated that two days before, but the market sold off regardless. Even though they said it was going to be elevated, which you could assume, right, would be higher than the expected inflation that would come out. So I'm curious to see how that's going to play out in the next week because the market was just ranging up until Thursday, it was ranging between that like 4150 and 4100 area pretty much for the entire week, just waiting for that news. But of course, as you said, Avi, all these names were getting crushed, especially Fang. You got Apple down more than 3%. Microsoft fell 4% that day as well. So had a lot of the big Fang there selling off. Facebook changed their name to Meta officially, which, you know, I don't really think it's even a big deal anymore as crypto is also dying here. So got a lot of basically just selling liquidations and continued fear slash uncertainty. So we're gonna have to be watching that closely and maneuvering that.
1: Joey, I'll let you talk about DocuSign because I know that that was a baby of yours. You've been talking about that since like the mid thirties or something, I think.
2: Yeah, DocuSign, you know, it was one of my, one of my babies for quite a while. And yeah, like you said, I think I originally picked it up in maybe the thirties, rode that thing. Um, geez, I want to say it cracked 300 for a little bit. And it was just one of those companies, they pulled forward much growth that, you know, it went from being this hyper growth stock to a stock that now is not growing all that fast and they don't have the, you know, the massive profitability that you would need to sustain these elevated prices that the stock got to. So it got in this gray area, you know, it's not a growth name anymore. It's not yet value so investors don't know what to do with it and i feel like those are all the names where you keep seeing these you know they might miss on their outlook and you see certain stocks just tanking 30 40% on earnings which you know for a long time you know the big declines on on earnings misses would be say 10 15% it's just insane what it's gotten to but that just kind of shows where investors' heads are at with some of these names. And yeah, I think DocuSign, you know, it's not one that has the huge earnings base like a Zoom that could sustain kind of where they're at right now. But I feel like this latest post earnings sell off kind of gave DocuSign that reset that it needed. And it's finally at a spot that I think is reasonable. But unfortunately, it does not have the growth and, you know, the outlook for billings does not get anybody excited enough that you want to go out and just buy this on Monday. It, it's one of those that you know, throw it on your watch list and and see if things improve, but I feel like the best thing for DocuSign and many companies uh, like it is just to, you know, find an acquisition, or find someone to be acquired by. And I was
0: going to say the same thing, Joey, that's exactly, that's the only thing they can really do. And I also potential, right? I mean, Mm -hmm. sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off, Tony,
1: but like, I think that the major shift we'll, we'll start to see, I think, the largest companies will still be a lot of MA and, and i am sure it'll be a little tight with their pockets during this time. But some of these companies like DocuSign and some of these mid-caps are at levels you start to look at making an acquisition for sure.
0: Right. And I want to ask Joey, just like what necessarily, you know, what makes DocuSign, I mean, the moat kind of question, you know, what, what can they do that Adobe or other companies don't already mm-hmm. have or can do? See, this is why like, I was never a huge fan of DocuSign. In fact, I was on a vacation when I was in college for spring break and was staying with the founder of DocuSign or like went at a party at his house with a bunch of my friends because yeah. daughter. What went. Are you day. telling me this story. Yeah. yeah. And he was like, you should buy DocuSign. Like, it looks really like, good. It was like 50 bucks a share, went to, you know, three, 400, but I just could not because I could not get behind the, the the notion that what they're doing is so revolutionary, right? You're just, you're signing. And and I feel like, yes, I use DocuSign all the time, however. What can they really do past that? And, and why
2: can't everyone else just copy that same thing? Right. Well, and see, and what you say is the exact reason that I almost like, I have this thing where I constantly over go over my entire portfolio, reevaluate everything. It doesn't matter how long I've held it, if it's a core position, how much I love the company, no matter what, I am always reevaluating every company, not even like based on earnings. I, I do this almost weekly and I produce my positions accordingly to be able to do this. And where I came to the realization and ended up selling DocuSign months ago, fortunately, was because of exactly what you said. You know, my original reason for buying DocuSign was that, you know, everything's going to shift to digital based signature, no more signing contracts in person. You know, everybody hates buying a house because you're signing like 200 documents. And uh, I think this last time, I bought a house. My wife wasn't able to be with me. So I had to do like power of attorney and sign on behalf of mm. her. So you see like all these processes that could be digitized and where someone like DocuSign could really dominate. Unfortunately, it became the same reason I never bought Zoom is because right. there was always, there's so many different ways to do this. You've got Google Hangout, you got Microsoft Teams and so many companies were offering I mean, I could FaceTime one, FaceTime someone for free whenever I want to, like yeah, part clear. of Apple. So it got to the point where I realized, yes, I love DocuSign and, and the product, but everything I was being sent, you know, if I was getting hired somewhere, or if I was signing some sort of document for a subscription I was getting, it was always Adobe Sign. Mm-hmm. And I realized that there are so many players in this space where, yes, DocuSign is the leader and they've got more customers than everybody else. But I feel like this could be a situation where Adobe starts giving it away for free or one of these other bigger players. And I think the best case that I came down to owning DocuSign was it being acquired. And I would right. never own a company simply for MA potential. So, I mean, luckily, I, I did not sell DocuSign in the 200s or 300s like one would hope for. But I still, you know, I made a healthy profit and I wasn't going to wait for it to try shot back to where it was the stock had changed i walked away from it and luckily put into a much better company that hasn't fallen as much but yeah that's i think that's what it comes down to always be reevaluating your positions and if the situation changes then you know shift your capital accordingly well said you kind
1: of paint this picture for what the company should be right or where it could be you get yourself in trouble very quickly if you're just imagining the path or they're going to get acquired, right? You can't just make this up and expect that to happen. I fell into that trap and I'm sure everyone listening to it at some point has fallen in love with the company and sees the optionality that that is there. But at the same time, I think we have to be real with where the company is and you're not the CEO of these companies. You can't decide the direction, right? Moving on over to Amazon, obviously news this week with their split taking effect 20 to one. However, it drops. There's a, a quote here I'll read in just a second, but it went from 125 to 109. So it dropped about 12.5%. We have some other splits coming up here with Google, Shopify, Dexcom, and Tesla just announced, of course, their three to one split after the close on Friday. But this quote that I wanted to get into is, it's not even a quote, it's just a fact there. Companies that have announced stock splits since 1980 have returned an average of 25.4% the following 12 months versus the S&P 500's average return of 9% during the same period. So, you know, can we take this stat for what it's worth today, right? Because I think the environment as we've been talking about the past, you know, 10 episodes or longer has shifted dramatically. This is no longer the summer of 2020. Can we expect this
2: with Amazon? I mean, do you, do you think it's can hit that 20%? 25%? I, I think this is just a complete different market. So yeah. when you think since 1980, you know, uh, yeah, a lot of S p 500 companies have split their stock since then. But I don't think any company has split their stock at a time when inflation was, you know, 8.6%. A uh, Fed that seems very lost. Uh, an administration that seems more lost than the Fed. It's there's so many variables that are going against the market right now that I just I don't think they could do that unless there are some drastic changes and we see some like incredible shifts in consumer behavior. And I mean, it almost seems like every time I see a headline, it's about some private company that's doing a mass layoff. So I feel like you know things out there are much worse than you know the media might. Be showing us where, yeah, inflation's bad, but now I I see all these layoffs coming. And I mean, I I filled up our minivan the other day. It was like 80 bucks. So it's just insane what's happening out there. And to go back to what we were saying about inflation, you know, this surprise to the upside, Mm -hmm. I don't think any of us were really surprised because, I mean, if you go to the grocery store, you go to the gas pump, like everything. Is just absolutely. I realize gas is fifty percent higher. Is it not
0: a hundred percent higher? I mean, I feel like down. I mean, down here at least, like gas is five bucks. It was like two eighty. Yeah, I live in New York. I don't think about gas prices, but it, I have a Tesla, so I don't drive either. So yeah,
1: Joey, tell us about your eighty dollar gas tank here. <laughs>
2: <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, it, yeah. So I just think people that are out there spending money know it's much more expensive to live than it was. You know, during COVID, I think we all got spoiled with like the sub two dollar gas and everything. And I also, I'm strongly against this whole narrative that's out there, you know, the Putin price hikes, the Putin gas tax, all this stuff. Like, yeah, Mm. one person that exports a lot of oil, it does cause some ripples in the market. I'll give them that. But, you know, this is a much bigger problem. And, you know, we're pointing the finger at oil companies that, you have to look back at covid when they were all getting actually crushed you know they're losing money on everything because oil's plummeting because no one's driving around going anywhere because we're not allowed to so during that time when they were getting crushed everybody's like oh boo hoo you know you made money for years now it's your turn to lose now the situation's completely, f- and everybody's telling oil companies, oh, you should drill rice step." They're like, where were you when we were losing money during COVID? Now you want us to do you a favor. It's like they were treated so badly. They're just, you know, getting us back for a little bit. So, I mean, it's that give and take. I, I think, yeah, the administration can do more to help, you know, these oil companies have some sort of motivation to want to drill more. But it just kind of shows, you know, everybody hating everybody isn't going to solve any issues that I feel like, you know, we need someone in leadership to really do something and stop just pointing the finger, but take action, actually help people. I I could not agree more, Joey. And like one thing I've I've posted on Twitter
0: multiple times is like, why did we not just open the faucet in like February? Right? Like we had our reserves stocked full by Trump when oil went to negative whatever it went, negative 37. And so like that, you know, people are like, oh, we don't want to use our all of our reserves and deplete it and whatever. But good news flow like that can counter out counteract the bad news flow right and like like you said what is it russia provides i think it was like six to eight percent of oil around the world so it's not like a huge amount really however it's the narrative and then right everyone assumes that narrative is more real than it actually is and then the entire world hikes up their oil and then games start being played because it's the perfect time to play games when there's an uncertainty and upset and so we should have had that piece of good news from the U.S. and maybe having the U.S. work with OPEC and Mexico because we fronted the bill from Mexico last year or two years ago. So there's a lot of things that we could have done. And I think that they talked about doing that in the last week or two. And it's just like, where were you the last four months? Why Why is this just now? So you're right. It's not necessarily just because of Russia's direct impact, but it's what it creates and like the, the fear of we can't even fix that six to eight percent. Imagine if another country tries to do something like that. And lifeguards. There's been a huge shortage of lifeguards. I just saw in the news. Where did you get that new piece of information? Off? <laughs> this is actually true.
1: I mean, now that you say that, it actually they saying, no, they're saying. they're saying a lot of the, the lifeguards come from Russia or Ukraine, and there was like oh. a huge shortage. Obviously, that's not the the big story here, but you can see the trickle down, obviously, across multiple industries. And yeah, it's I think it's eight or ten, eight to ten percent, I think, of the world. I was just looking it up because, but europe is much much higher too and then everything just has some impact you know tony touch on the amazon split and then of course you you're you're itching over there to talk about tesla's split as well
0: yeah that uh statistic of it being up 25.4 percent over the following 12 months like i think number one in general people need to take those statistics in context right like since 1980 first of all we didn't have many stock splits leading up to like 87, 88 in, in that crazy inflation era. Most of the stock splits came later. And so first of all, like it's been pretty much a bull market minus the few times that have happened in like 2001 and 2008. So knowing that in context, like up 24.5% when there's more liquidity in a pretty decent liquid environment over that long time period. Yeah, I, I bet if you take in the factor of just like in 2000 to 2001 and in 2007 to 2000, like eight nine, that number does not exist like that. And so if you put it into context, like right now in the market, no one gives a damn about a stock split unless you did it a long time ago, right? So if you look at something like the trade desk, so they did a stock split at the Pico perfect time. And that was when we were saying on the podcast that everyone with a high share price should do a stock split now if they have, they're one of those like high growth companies like Shopify and Mercado Libre, And so Shopify, for example, also is trying to do a stock split now too, a 10 to one. This stock's not even at 400, right? They were at 1800. That's when you do a 10 to 1, not now. Because what happens is when you get liquidated on such a big share price, you don't have the liquidity backstopping you on the way down. And so that's why the trade desk is still at $55 a share. It went all the way to 800. And yes, but regardless, what I'm saying six to 12 months ago, I think would have fared off much better, right? Like Amazon waited until it got to 2000 and then it split. Like I think that if it had split near 4000, it would still be much higher today. So I wouldn't necessarily consider the stock split being a bullish thing for it or any other share now because it's too little too late. And so I think Tesla, for example, right now, they they want to do a split as well, or they just announced that they're going to do a three for one. And I don't necessarily think that's a bad idea for Tesla, because if you really look at it, it's not that far off its highs. And how many splits have they done in the last few years? Tesla's also a specific thing where there was like 25% short to value on the, on the shares, right? So if, if, if all the sh- 25% of the shares were short as it was splitting, providing liquidity, doing better in a bullish uptrend. That's where you got that perpetual once in a lifetime gamma. that just continued to bring it to the valuation it was today. Granted, it was warranted because of the underlying fundamentals that people were sleeping on for like eight years because, I don't know, people just don't pay attention to where the world's going sometimes. But I also think that that's you know, not going to have the same effect as it did last time. The only stock I could see it really having that effect for would be Tesla. So Amazon shop You know, Google splits not as important to me as the Tesla split. Because if the Tesla split doesn't do anything for Tesla and Tesla's like the perfect poster child of a beneficiary for a stock split, then you can really clearly see that no one cares because even a split won't fix the liquidity problems in that stock or the general market.
2: I mean, I completely agree. And what I would add on to all of this is I don't think that it's random that both Amazon and Google are splitting their stocks. Around the same time to bring their share price to about the same number. If you think this stock split just brought Amazon down to about like 120 a share, Google's gonna do their split right around the same thing. Think of when Apple last did their stock split, brought their share price from I think like 500 to 125 mm-hmm. and what that means. The Dow Jones Industrial Average is a price weighted index, which is it, it which just makes not makes no sense. You know, it should be market capitalized based like the SP 500 and everything else but i don't think it's random that these two companies are bringing their share prices exactly to where you need to be mm-hmm. to enter the dow jones industrial average now yeah so i mean we got both of these coming in i think it's very easy to shake up the dow kick out cisco and add in an amazon and you kick out intel and add in google like those are two names that completely get out of the dinosaur technology stocks bring in the innovators that are the current pulse of the american economy and, and not only that the worldwide economy so i think that's why you really saw these stock splits around the same time because it both will lead into this possible entrance into dow jones industrial average later this year
1: so what does that mean though what's the impact for that stock then once it comes into the dow like what is there a trend Once a company comes into the Dow, I guess like funds can start
2: to own it more. I guess. Yeah. So it basically, yeah, it'll go into more of the funds that track the Dow Jones Industrial Average, and you know all the everybody like tracks the Dow. So I mean, it's basically more demand for the shares. Unfortunately, I believe there's a stat out there that actually says entering the Dow is not what it used to mean. It used to chalk up like, yeah, you made it. It's gonna you know beef up your stock price in both the short and long term. But I think over the last like 20 years, it hasn't meant as much as it used to but that's a stat i actually want to pull and we'll we'll talk about on a future podcast maybe if this announcement becomes official awesome
0: that was a great ad joe i completely forgot that 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 is i mean that is why they're doing it they,
2: oh exactly they, they want to be
0: yeah i mean now they own the like fang is going to be the entire u.s economy. right like it's like 45 percent of the nasdaq 25 percent, probably more of the s p now and now it's going to be i mean apple's what already what percent of the Dow it's like.
2: Yeah, I could see they're going to Facebook now meta because of like all the social issues around it. And, you know, I guess regulators not being a huge fan of it. But yeah, when you talk about Amazon and Google, it's kind of a disservice to not have them in the Dow already. Mm -hmm. But I, I think it's more shifting towards technology as it is. So getting those two in there, just it makes too much sense. Well said.
1: Joey, before you join the podcast, Tony's been screaming, you know, and pounding the table literally, I think, since November. Just that shit is starting to hit the fan a little bit. Growth, you know, the fun and games from 2020 summer is over, right? And everyone needs to start watching the Fed. And when I was walking down the street having a conversation with you the other day, you started dropping names like Home Depot, Target, I think, Walmart, and and looking at some of these dividend stocks, which really does make sense looking at the macro environments. It's a huge shift away from everything we've talked about here on, on Pine on the Table with a lot of growth and you know, since the day of of Joey Rockets with you
2: dropping those amazing gifts. So where's your head at with all of this right now? Yeah. So we've talked about, you know, constantly questioning all of your positions and, you know, how could you best position your capital for maximum upside over the long term? However, in an environment like this, you don't always want to just position your capital for maximum upside, but you also have to consider the downside. I know anytime me and you are talking stocks, one of the things you like that I do is I'll give you my bull case, but then I give you the butts. Mm-hmm. I talk about but if this happens, you know, my thesis is out the window and I'm gone. Or if this happens, you know, this this is where I could go wrong. Mm-hmm. Now, when I'm talking about the best in class growth stocks, you know, I like to stick to the absolute best in breed. There's no second fiddlers in my portfolio. Like you have to be the best at what you do to to get into my portfolio in the first place, then I'm going to constantly reevaluate from there. However, when I was looking this past week and even the week before, and I was thinking, if I deploy new capital in this market, where do I want exposure to? Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, I'm almost entirely tech to where I was thinking, well, if I want to park cash somewhere, I'm not just going to force finding some tech company that I like when i've got someone like you know a target or home depot you know these world class retailers that my wife i think she might have a second home at target she's there damn near every day that it's one of those i know i'm going to get this consistent dividend income it's got growth on its side it's it's got exposure on the e-commerce side the brick and mortar because you know uh, the consumer wants both so i'm just looking at these plays that it's almost like i could get steady steady growth out of this They're well off their highs to where, you know, if and when the market rebounds, you could see the significant capital appreciation in these. And yeah, you've got the earnings base to support it. So the names uh, we were talking about, I remember it was like Target, Home Depot and Starbucks. And I mean, those are just three retailers that I think fall under not only world class, but also the addiction categories because you know I'm I'm at Home Depot almost every weekend. I think any homeowner you're always out there preparing for something. My wife gets everything at Target. She's at Starbucks and my kids are even to the point where they're always wanting like cake pops and and different things from Starbucks. So you know just following those those types of plays that you're not going to get burned by. You've got to have these companies that are very inexpensive on even a price earnings basis. And I think the entire thing to kind of wrap this up is this is just looking for a place to park capital for the short term. And then when you see things turn, which could be six months from now, it could be 16 months from now, we're not really sure when things are going to improve and get better. But when that happens, that's when you could say, okay, now is when I can ship this capital out of my slower growth dividend place back into high growth tech that has good operating margins or free cash flow positive that still follow the playbook if things take a second dive.
1: All right, everyone take a seat for a second because this quote is crazy. put my tin hat on for just a second, but Joe, you even took a seat when I was saying this earlier. It's from Kim.com. He was he had this really like alarming tweet and I didn't fact check every piece to this. So if we're wrong here, you know, correct us. But he was saying the value of all US assets combined, every single piece of land, real estate, all savings, all companies, everything that every citizen, business, entities, everyone owns right is worth 193 trillion dollars the number is also full of air just like the us stock market he says let's do the math the us total debt is 90 trillion us unfunded liabilities 169 trillion which is a total of 259 trillion minus all us assets 193 trillion with a balance of 66 trillion so 66 trillion of debt and liabilities after every single asset in the us has been sold off and he says do you understand right so like we were joking about this, but then even it's not just a US thing. We looked at the globe and the whole globe, you know, is, is in debt, $226 trillion. So who, who do we owe this money to?
0: Yeah, I'll be, I don't know which pot it was, but I think I mentioned it was, it was actually higher than that number. I'm pretty sure. I think it's like 276 trillion and glo- it's probably higher now of global debt. And so when you think about it, yeah, it's like we don't have the amount of dollars in circulation equaling that at all, nor the debt, right? So if you think that, like like, if I owe you a million and you owe Joey 2 million and then Joey owes someone 5 million and then they're collateralized, like it just, you can collateralize assets like four times over, right? Like if I buy a house in cash, I can collateralize that house to buy another house. And then I can collateralize that house to buy another house. And then basically the Ponzi perpetuates. And that is just the entire world. And so it is a house of cards. It's not even a tin hat thing. It's like, I think you're just staying mad. Mm. And so if you really just think like, is it too big to fail the entire world? Well, it's like one of those situations where if it does, then everything does. Because if you think like the US dollars, we're 70% backing all commodities, right? US dollars are traded in commodities. And that's like everything that goes into building everything. So we're pretty much at the crux of this entire dilemma. Mm -hmm. And that's why we're facing the dilemma so hard now when the tightening comes in and you realize how much debt we actually have. And so obviously debt has interest and- The higher the rates, the higher the interest on that debt. And so, yeah, you'll see a lot of people foreclosing in the next six to 12 months. You'll see a lot of businesses going under. You'll see many startups that raised at X valuation, raising at zero or, and going out of business too, you flooded the bathroom. Now you clean it up with the one or two towels you have in the bathroom, but it's infinite water because you can just keep the faucet going and the water doesn't turn. Yeah. So it's a very interesting situation we're in right
2: now, and uh, no, take it, it away, Joey. Exactly. You're just saying, you know, these startups, they're not going to be able to raise capital at a certain valuation. It, it's, I mean, look at what's happening in the startup world. Look at all the layoffs that are being announced. I think we referenced this before, but it's like all these companies are realizing money is no longer free. And it's just getting so bad out there that, yeah, you're seeing all these companies announce 10, 15, 20% layoffs. that it's just getting worse for these companies and as they slowly start to disappear it's it's not going to be a good thing for the economy
1: no nope. I mean, this private market we were looking at like instacart I think everything's getting slashed in half though right now it's 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 absolutely that's just
0: the beginning too because like, right that's what about I mean. it, it's not we're not even
1: Starting yet in my if opinion.
0: you think about public markets, right? Like it, there's levels to this shit. So you have to start with the seed round, right? Like you just have an idea. You go to talk to your buddies or VC, whatever, they'll give you, I don't know, five mil for 30% at a 10 mil or 15 mil val, whatever, just on your idea. Like that's ridiculous. And if you think that like I've been looking at every single of all these crypto companies getting valuations, this is the one place where it hasn't slowed now, but it might now because crypto just crashed, and we'll talk about that later in the pod. But you're seeing the investments in private funding in normal markets is far lower now. The valuations for crypto stuff is still higher, but that's even starting to decrease now in this bear. So it's really crazy to just see that. The private markets, I think, are where people can play the wild, wild west game. Because all I need for a higher markup and to vest my shares and to unlock and all this stuff that people do and make money under your nose and then dump onto you, which is retail, which is the public markets, once they've already gotten in at like one-tenth the valuation and just unlock onto you is you need someone else to pay that price. So if I raise at five mil val, for example, and then I have Joey who's willing to buy 1% at 10 mil, like I'm worth 10 mil now. And that's the private markets for you in a nutshell. It's not necessarily that easy, but that's pretty much how that works. And so if you think that like the faucet slowing down there, because those people can basically a not just get a ton of money in from a bunch of investors who have money flooded because of the pandemic and all the money they made there, but then also they get debt. And so those startups are the most susceptible companies to get crushed because if, mm-hmm. if they don't get more funding, they're dead and they need funding because they don't have revenues even at all. Some, cheap. They're going to have to give up a ton of their percentage. Of the- or they just go under, or they have to get acquired for pennies on the dollar of what they last raised. Like I was reading so many threads from VCs and talking to other like investors that do angel and other VC investors I know. And they're all just like, people are reneging on their deals that they have signed, like vesting, like they've signed deals to invest in these companies and they're trying to adjust the terms. And it, it's it's just because the conditions are changing so fast and people can't get that ridiculous private market valuation. And and I want you to also realize like the reason we're talking about this is because that ridiculous private market valuation, if you think of it like an exponential graph, right? Like that goes on to you at the point of past the point of like the initial inflection point. So that goes into the public market, the IPO at the Pico perfect time where it looks like growth and everything is crushing. And then if you look at someone like Coinbase, or if you look at like any of the IPOs that came out last year, what did founders do? Besides Asana, who I don't know how the founder of Asana has the biggest balls in the world to buy a stock at 100 dollars a share. But everyone else, like Made Coinbase, Facebook, <laughs> right. Yeah, Coinbase <laughs> and all these other companies that IPO'd last year, the founders unlock they they got to vest and unlock right away, and then they sold a bunch at the peak, and then they buy it back at the lows. Right. So it is exit liquidity and liquidity is always a cycle, right? It's just, it goes from one asset class to another asset class, and then people collateralize whatever asset class they want. And it just keeps going in a little Ponzi circle. So you start taking out parts of the chain and then the chain just breaks. And that's kind of what I think you're seeing all over right now in in all markets. We're seeing a lot of VC
1: money shift over. I'm still seeing a ton of money being, you know, thrown into these projects right now, and so it, maybe it's a time to build, right? And, and that's it is a time to build, but I think you can't build at Bitcoin seventy thousand, right? You kind of build now, and then once it's seventy thousand, then these companies are going to exist and, and hopefully be thriving. Uh, a lot of doom and gloom, but it's summertime, and and I always talk about these beach stocks, right? Where I don't need to necessarily look at my screen all day and. I can just know that they're good. And so my mind's starting to shift a little bit to to ETFs and I know that's not sexy whatsoever, but you know, IHI is one of my favorite ETFs and when I'm thinking of ETFs, I think of, you know, investing in a theme. That's really what you're doing in my opinion. And so robotic surgery for me is one that we've talked about a number of times that I just know in my head that that is going to be something that's going to explode continuously over the next 5, 10, 20 years in my opinion, right? And so Joey, you, you brought up something interesting though. You're like, why would you invest in IHI when you can just take the best of IHI and throw away some of the crap, right? So I'd love to hear more of what you were discussing there because I thought it was pretty interesting.
2: Yeah, so what I always like to tell people, if say you're building a brand new portfolio, you pick like the 10 industries that you think are gonna be leading the market over the next 20 years. And one of them being these medical device companies that help in robotic surgery. So, say you want to dedicate ten percent of your portfolio to this, and you pick the IHI to do it. My thought would be, yeah, you could do that. That's a sound strategy. Or if you want to take that same ten percent, divide it up into four separate two and a half percent pieces, and pick your four favorite companies within that IHI ETF. So it's very easy to you know find these ETFs if you just go in and search. You know, a cybersecurity ETF, medical device ETF, they'll all pop up. What I would recommend to do is go to the actual page of that ETF, and you can find the full prospectus, the breakdown, find the holdings, and it's usually you'll download it as an Excel sheet, or it could be right there. And look at like the top fifteen holdings, and that's that's where you'll find some, you know, pure plays on exactly what you're looking for. If you want to go with these robotic surgery companies, yeah, you could buy the IHI. Or you could pick your favorites, which could be an intuitive Surgical, which is an absolute pure play with their Da Vinci. Or, you know, like the devices like an Edwards Life Sciences or, you know, Dexcom, if you think diabetes with uh, CGM monitors will be the biggest growth spot within there.
1: What are you saying about ResMed? <laughs> uh, you got it, you got it. <laughs> Say that story
2: about Resmed, yeah. Uh, Resmed, gun. That's is, hilarious. So Resmed is one of the top holdings of IHI, and it's hilarious. So they do the CPAP machines, and that's actually one of the biggest trending devices on TikTok because what guys are doing is they'll have their CPAPs on, and they'll be having the Top Gun song playing, and it shows them putting on the aviator sunglasses that they lay down in bed. So, <laughs> so so Resmed could be a play on the Top Gun movie and it's also just a funny trend that i think it's almost like normalizing the cpap
0: (laughs) yeah i'm a big fan of etf so like the the way i think of it is exactly the you know the way jerry's talking about it like pick a theme and and you as well and what i really want i guess focus on is that there's a lot of companies that are in something like igv right microsoft's a huge holding in that and a lot of the other big bangers and so like, do do I think that those are just like good necessarily long-term to, to hold if you will even like those kind of companies? Yeah, sure. Like IGV, IHI, even like on the market, like I think for people who don't invest in crypto, BITO, that like Bitcoin tracking fund that is is out now, there, there's a lot of different ways to play things. I wouldn't necessarily say like it's the best idea to condense your, your top picks in those different ETFs and sectors into an ETF right now, just because... Your your return on the way up will be far lower. But like if you believe we're going to go lower, your return will be better just because if we go lower, the ETF will will shield you from moves, right? It's just less volatile than individual names on the most part.
1: I right, had quick crypto update of pounding the table and I want to give a quick shout out to Stock Twits. They are finally launching their crypto exchange. I'm super excited because I'm hyped. I do not like having 50 different apps. So this will be one app that I can start. Understanding what's happening in the market, hearing the different conversations around my favorite ticker symbols. So I'm hyped. Now we can add crypto to the mix. So what what's going on in the world of crypto, Tony?
0: We've been we've been crashing there as well. Yeah, I crypto ever since Luna had its old fiasco debacle, you can see that there's been like a disparity between like Bitcoin and, and S&P 500 and the other cryptos following in suit with the general markets. And so that's definitely a huge factor to consider because they were tracking each other. In fact, crypto was leading for a while in the general markets. And so that's completely gone away. I think just $18 billion or so of liquidity just got zapped from the markets in crypto. And so that's a huge amount when you consider that like not a ton of money is always actively traded and such in there. I mean, a lot of people just totally, and it allowed for crypto to finally move lower. So there's also two things that I'm, I'm looking here for crypto because ETH just broke the level that I was been saying this for months, like 1750 area. If it breaks that like I would not be surprised to see three digits. And Bitcoin is holding up really well, but FANG held up really well until the beginning of this year. Right. So it's a lot. The generals fall last and there's really only one general and that would be Bitcoin. And so I think that you're going to be able to see both of those get to respective lower lows for now in this cycle but it doesn't mean that i like any different in in my bullishness for web3 and and digital currency in general but i would say until eth is back over 1750 strongly and holding there and until the macro conditions improve like i would be surprised to not see these things go much lower i mean solana for example right like i I was talking about that 50 60 dollars a share or a coin And, you know, it went all the way to 200 and I was like, oh, this is a little egregious. And so I was out of there around then moving to different coins and such. But there's certain reasons for coins holding themselves up and there's certain reasons while well, they just die, right? It's all just based on users and the amount of money and transactional volume. You can basically do your own research by checking on something like Dune Analytics and it'll tell you average exchange volume for like OpenSea or Magic Eden or whatever. And if you assume that like ETH and Solana or whatever, all these things are used for NFTs, that's one thing other... Chains are used for you know gaming and DeFi and such. So think about all that. But I do think that in general, crypto has finally got that cascade look. And so what happens is you know it breaks these huge levels. People start selling. People get liquidated because they're trying to buy the dip. And it continues right. And so you could definitely see ETH to three digits or Bitcoin to I mean probably worst case maybe four digits. Who knows? But I do think that you know everyone thinking that Bitcoin's super strong is not going to be right in the next few weeks or months to come. Regardless of that, though, I would say that there will be huge opportunities in the next few months in crypto. But that inflation narrative coming off, coupled with the horrible market that the Fed's going, you've got crypto getting hit by the stuff that tech stocks are getting hit by. And then the stuff that's benefiting other stocks that aren't tech is coming away. So to double whammy to the downside, doesn't change the fact that I'm still bullish on crypto in the long term. But once again, you have to wait for the Fed and wait for a proper entry versus just continuing to buy the dip. You know i know some people who just dollar yeah. cost average it that's one way to do it but always kind of consider what's coming up next because you know things are changing every two minutes on the markets
1: so totally. and and we'd love to say that it's all rainbows and butterflies but we're going to give it to you raw and real each week and week out so we got 30 seconds to lead here to wrap up the pod so joey what what are we looking forward to in the next week because we've been doom and gloom
2: a little bit here this pod so is there any optimism coming up here No, exactly what we've been saying the last couple of weeks, where this is a market where I want to say things are getting better, but it's the same as it's been for months now. We just kind of want to do nothing. If you want to sit on your hands, you want a dollar cost average, however you want to go about that strategy. But I think this is a wait and see market and we should continue to wait and see what happens. And kind of what Tony was just saying with crypto and what I was saying before, I think this is a great week that I would say and leave everybody with this is. Reevaluate everything you own, whether it's you know stocks, crypto, everything, and constantly reevaluate them to make sure you are best positioning your capital for the upside when the market does recover, but also that you're taking the appropriate risk to the downside as well. Love that, Joe. And I couldn't be more excited actually, to revisit the
1: Bible in the upcoming weeks. We're going to start next week kicking things off and really digging in. We've heard it from a lot of our pounders. We also are feeling it the same way. And so, I think this is a great time during some of these downswings where maybe nothing's happening in the market. Of course, we'll provide updates week in and week out, but I think it's time to really dig into some of these names again during this lull period. Could be more excited to have the team back, all three of us, the three-headed monster. So with that being said, folks, have a great weekend and we'll be back next week for another episode of Pounding
2: Count me out and they still counting Honestly, I never doubt it Say the top is never crowded Well, I'm trying to climb the mountain Till I need a few counting Sockets rising, perfect timing I'm in prickle with the tribe Charlie sliding, she want sushi She want eel sauce with the rice I just peel off of the light Took her heels off for the ride Don't say real talk, just a lie I'm a real one, I provide, yeah Drip on a hundred